This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcasting from Cressa. This is your host, Les Smolin with Vistage International, and my co-host, Andrea Dykes, Howard Insurance, Molly Ponpadit, SOAR Community Network, and Katie Brewer, the Brewer Group. We've got a great lineup of guests for you today on our show. Katie, would you uh, kind of run down the guests? We have Matt Petroselli, CEO of Valley National Financial Advisors, Mark Bogan, President of the Falkier Bank, Chris Taylor, CEO of Giovini, and Mike Musio, president of FBB Capital Partners. Thanks. And first up, we've got Matt Petrozelli, CEO of Valley National Financial Advi- Advisors. Matt, what's uh, Valley National Financial Advisors? Valley National Financial Advisors is a one-stop financial planning, investment management, and tax planning preparation firm based in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We and how big or small are you guys? We have 40 employees and about $1.2 billion under management. And uh, how would you get a job there? My father-in-law was actually the founder of the company. And after working in New York for 10 years, he finally convinced me to come uh, help him at the firm. And, and why is that? What did he see in you that he thought this could be a benefit to the firm? My father-in-law founded the firm 35 years ago, and as the firm began to age, I think he needed to bring somebody in with some outside experience, big firm experience that could come in and provide some dynamic leadership and put the infrastructure in place to see that business continue to grow and perpetuate. And where'd you grow up? I grew up in Richfield, Connecticut, which Mm -hmm. is about 40 miles north of New York City. And any siblings? I have one older sister. Who's the smart one? My sister. Why is that? Uh, she's always been the academic leader, uh, academic award winner. She's uh, got an advanced degree, and she's got a, uh, a JD. She's a practicing attorney in a, in a large corporation. Sounds very, very successful. Yeah. How about mom and dad? What were they doing? Uh, dad worked for IBM for 31 years as a corporate executive, and mom stayed home with us to make sure we didn't get in any trouble. Okay. Katie, what do you got? What kind of sports did you play when you were in school? Uh, football and baseball mainly. And what role did you play? Uh, in high school, I was the captain of the football team and the third baseman on the baseball team. When you were a captain of the football team, how did you get that role? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to be able to excel on the field, right? In any leadership uh, role or any leadership acceptance, uh, you have to be able to do the job. Uh, I was also really good at kind of building consensus and, and, and working on getting the team together, uh, both leading the team and both being a good teammate. And how does that translate into what you do for Valley National Financial Advisors? Well, Valley National Financial Advisors is almost 40 employees large, so you have to be able to build the strategy, build the consensus, build the team. Um, And now that we've grown to where we are, we really, um, I need to be a a good teammate and really let the people excel around me. Where'd you learn to do that? Where'd you learn to build consensus? Who were you modeling? I think my parents do a really good job of building consensus. Um, What do you mean? As a small family, it's just uh, my dad, my mom, my sister, and I, we didn't have a lot of uh, other siblings or other family members around. We uh, really had to kind of build consensus and work together as a family, um, especially with my dad gone a lot uh, traveling with IBM. Mm. Um, There were a lot of of things we had to work together on. Mm. What are you thinking, Molly? Well, outside of sports, what other hobbies and interests did you enjoy as a child? Outside of sports, I really love to be outside, exploring. I did a lot of hiking, some mountaineering when I was in college, and really getting out there, not just on the hiking trail, but really out there, really out in the remote wilderness and, and, and learning what that's all about and enjoying that experience. What do you mean? What were you doing and, and why were you doing it? I always like to do things that were off the beaten path, and getting out in the wilderness is one way to do that. I was a graduate of National Outdoor Leadership School. Um, I, I spent some time in the Yukon Canada area, uh, mountaineering and learning leadership skills and and applying those and and practicing leadership. How old were you when you were doing that? I was 19, 20 years old. 
Mm-hmm. Why is doing things differently important to you, and how does that translate into your role as a leader today? I think you have to spend time looking at things from a lot of different angles, looking at things, innovating, um, challenging the status quo, and really looking to um, explore uh, other alternatives and other ways to do things, especially in today with technology and the fast pace of business. If you're just accepting the status quo and not exploring other opportunities to do things, you're probably going to get left behind. What's the thing you learned about yourself from all that outdoor extreme hiking and outdoor stuff that you, you were doing? What did, it, what did it teach you about you? What it taught me is that um, I'm really good at uh, strategizing paths, managing risk, I think being outdoor, outdoors, extremely when you're when you're in the remote areas, risk management is extremely important. And I found that I was a good manager of risk, not only for myself but also for teams. How does that translate into what you do now? Well, managing risk in financial services is is the name of the game. Um, I think we really spend a lot of time uh, evaluating risks as we make investments, as we uh, build the infrastructure of the firm for the next generation. Uh, really trying to look at you know, doing a pre-mortem versus a post-mortem and really making sure that we have an opportunity to say what's the worst case scenario, what's the best case scenario, Mm -hmm. and and apply capital accordingly. Go ahead. Andrea, what are you thinking? In the green room, you told us that you were known among your peers as being really social. Tell us more about that. I really enjoyed, um, as as a young man, being involved not only with the football guys, for lack of a better term, but also people from different walks of life, different areas, different interests. I found that I really enjoyed spending time with people um, outside of my normal clique. And, and that's been the tr- that's been uh, really, really a great thing moving forward as I was in college and into business to be able to relate to a lot of different type of people. And why does that I- inclusivity matter at the time and, and today when you when you lead your business? Well, I think inclusivity is important because when you're building consensus in a business, you need to be really evaluating a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different ways of doing things. If you surround yourself with people that all do the same thing the same way that I do, it, it's probably we're probably going to miss out on things. So you need to make sure that you're including a lot of other people and a lot of other viewpoints. Not that we need to make a decision by consensus, but you should have all the facts and all the angles to, in order for a leader to make a decision. Did anyone teach you that as a kid? How'd you learn that? I mean, I, I'd like to say that I model myself after my dad. He was really good at, um, you know, um, getting people together, hearing different opinions. Um, I obviously I didn't see him doing that professionally as a young man. He was it was in a corporate office, but seeing him do that um, in our neighborhood or at our country club or another venue where he was volunteering his time, he was very very good at doing that. Go ahead, Molly. You also mentioned that your father-in-law recruited you, right? Um, What makes your participation in the organization a good fit and a balance to what he brings to the organization? So my father-in-law is extremely intelligent and he's extremely analytical. He's a CPA by trade and he is a fantastic financial advisor. Um, One of the best I've ever seen, if not the best. And what I can bring to the table is I can bring a fresh look at the overall business structure and the way that we work with our clients and the way that we operate our business allow him to be great as an advisor and as a founder of the firm and help and i can really come in and help carry his vision to the next level um, something that he probably doesn't have time or at times the expertise to do hmm. what was uh what about mom mom was a stay-at-home mom you said mom stayed at home yep and what is it you take from her that you use today my mom is very caring and compassionate um and i think i take that with me um every day as i really try to treat people the way that i want to be treated um that's the golden rule right and my mom practiced that very well um additionally with my dad gone a lot my mom was a very strong and independent person and i saw her do things independently that at the time a lot of other women or other moms were not doing and so she's an extremely strong independent person and i believe that had a big influence on my sister and i to find our own paths of independence Hmm. you were aware of that when you were younger or subsequently when you're older i think i was aware of it when i was younger and uh it has now that i'm a parent of two children i appreciate that more and more every day Mm mm-hmm 
Molly, were you going to ask a follow-up question there? Were you and your sister competitive, or were you more collaborative in nature growing up? We were more collaborative. We weren't very competitive. Um, She was three grades higher than me, so um, we really, she was great. She really looked out for me as an older sister, and um, at home, we really worked together to make sure that we had a great place to live and a a great place to, to grow up. Sounds like you have a, a lot of admiration for her. What is it about w- the way she kind of carries herself that kind of informs how you see her? Yeah, so Jackie was always uh, a, 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 such a hard worker at school and got, got a law degree. And, and um, what I admire most about her today is just her as a parent and as a, a very accomplished corporate attorney, how she's able to balance everything in her life. She's got two young children herself and she she does it all she balances it so well and she does it with grace and she's just the prime example of a really hard-working uh parent and a hard-working uh, corporate attorney at does, the same time does she it's know impressive. that you think about her that way probably not she probably yeah, will probably will this. now yeah <laughs> all right what's the website address matt valleynationalgroup.com well, we've been speaking with matt petrozelli ceo of valley national financial advisors Uh, Don't forget to visit our website, executivelewsradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. This is Les Smolin with Vistage International, and this is your business spotlight. Joining us today is Patrick Heyman, Senior Vice President at the Fauquier Bank. Patrick, what's the Fauquier Bank about? The Fauquier Bank is a community bank based in Fauquier County in Prince William County, Virginia. And how big or small? We are $725 million in assets. Great. What's your role? I am the Director of Wealth Management and Mortgage. What does that mean? That means I oversee all of our wealth management and mortgage activities for the bank. Mm-hmm. And what do you like most about the job? I like most about the job is the people. I'm a people person. I love being with people. I love being with our clients, our employees, and our communities. Have you always been that way? No. I was quiet as a child, very quiet. Came out of my shell in middle school. What, what happened that created that opportunity for you to come out of that shell? I had the opportunity to go to St. Thomas Choir School in Manhattan, which is the only choir school in this country and one of three in the world. And that opportunity opened my eyes and, and made me more confident in myself and what I could do and what I was capable of. Really? Choir? Yes. Acapella or with accompaniment? Oh, with accompaniment. Absolutely. Full orchestra, full service, full pieces, all of it. What did you learn about yourself in that? That I had the ability to do something I didn't think I could or wasn't sure that I could. Hmm. So how do you use that today in terms of your role in the bank? Part of being a leader is having confidence sometimes when perhaps you don't and showing your team that you have the ability to do something that you're not sure you can either. But you have to go first. And what do clients appreciate about you and the company? Clients appreciate the most about us that we are in our community we're active we're engaged we're involved we contribute we give back and we help in any way we can that's great patrick sounds pretty uh, actually all-encompassing um so we've been speaking with uh, patrick hayman pa- uh, patrick what's the website address www.tfb.bank that's been patrick hayman senior vice president at the fork here bank uh, thanks, and uh, this is Les Smolin, and that's been your Business Spotlight. We're back, and you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Les Smolin. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest. We've got Mark Bogan, president at the Fauquier Bank. Mark, what's the Fauquier Bank? It's a $750 million community bank in Fauquier and Prince William counties. And um, where'd you, how'd you get a job there? I started my career uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1990 with a Wachovia Bank and then went to Bank of America and then in 2000 started in community banking and progressively got smaller but I started with the Fauquier Bank three and a half years ago. Mm. And what was the reason for you coming to work with them at that point? So I was with a small community bank in Charlotte, North Carolina that was a turnaround and uh, me and several other executives came in and were successful in turning the bank around and so once we were able to do that I looked around at what next opportunity would be and I got a call from an executive recruiter that I knew, and the Fauquier Bank was looking for a CEO. Their uh, previous CEO had announced his retirement in March of 2015, and so I joined the bank in uh, February 2016. Great. Where are you from? Uh, originally from Beaufort, South Carolina. Uh, from Beaufort. Now, you have any brothers or sisters? I have one older sister. And uh, what's it like being the younger brother? Uh, it's fantastic. So she uh, she paved the way, made all the mistakes, and then I got to come along behind her <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, be the uh, the golden child. Okay. Not really. <laughs> uh, and mom and dad, what were they doing? 
Uh, Mom uh, was a uh, executive assistant in the school board in Union, South Carolina, and my father was a CPA uh, and the chief financial officer for uh, the local hospital. So they were pretty involved in the community there. Uh, both very involved in the community and also very involved in their kids and church and all the other things. Uh, church and community, those two things kind of play, uh, you know, same side of the, uh, of the same coin for you? A- absolutely. What do you mean? Uh, well, church being uh, the most important, uh, being the most important foundation in, in my life, uh, you know, and, and as a result of both my f- uh, parents being strong believers. So church has always been a central role in, in me and, and in my life. And then community, uh, working in the community banking industry, community is critically important and uh, contributing and giving back and participating in the community is, is vitally important for me and for our, our organization. Yeah, let me throw this to Molly. You wanted to follow up on some questions on family values there. Yes, I did. So in the green, we talked a lot about uh, dad leading by example and that he, um, through his action, showed up. So how do you then use those values today and how do you lead by example with your team? So I try to uh, lead by example by always being willing to do whatever's necessary in order to be successful. And I say that you know success is a function of outcomes, not activity. So whatever it takes to be successful is what you know we should do. But uh, leading by example means that you'll do whatever is required, and that you'll encourage and help uh, and coach and mentor and motivate others. But it's just being willing to do whatever is required in order to be successful, and not putting yourself above anything. Where'd you learn that? Uh, learned it from observing my parents, uh, I think primarily, and then. Uh, learned it, you know, by, you know, whatever success in, in, in different organizations, be it, you know, basketball teams or baseball teams growing up or in school and, you know, working in groups in school or, uh, you know, in other ways, uh, just observing and seeing people be successful by, you know, working hard and, and not necessarily being uh, a cheerleader, but being somebody that's willing to dig in and get, uh, do whatever it takes to get the job done. The power your, go ahead. Katie. How did your father demonstrate that to you? Uh, he was always willing to, you know, do whatever it took. And uh, even though he was the chief financial officer for the hospital, um, when he went to the cafeteria, the people in the cafeteria uh, would come out and, and hug him. And he knew their uh, kids' names and he knew the people that worked there. And so uh, it, it, he exhibited to me by uh, just being willing to, to do uh, whatever it took, but also by building relationships with anybody and everybody inside of the organization, no matter what their job or their role was, uh, he built a relationship with them. And how does that translate to how you run Fulcare County Bank? Well, I like to think that, you know, everybody on the team uh, is a part of the team. And, you know, what I tell the, the organization and the people that I work with is, although we like to think of ourselves as a family, we're actually a team. My daughters are my family, and there's never anything that they can ever do that will change that. But everybody on our team has a responsibility to the team. And so we're a team, and we act like a team, and that's how we're successful as an organization, by operating as a team. Where did you hone those observational skills when you were younger? Uh, by participating in teams and, and uh, being involved in, uh, in sports primarily and learning that you know, teamwork is important and no one person is, is more important than the other and everybody has to do their job to the best of their ability mm-hmm. with a mindset of excellence in order for the organization to be successful. Yeah. So on those teams when you were a kid, what sports did you play? What positions did you hold? I played primarily basketball and baseball. I liked all sports and played all sports, but the two that I played primarily were basketball and baseball. And in basketball, I was the point guard, and on the baseball team, I was the shortstop. And what about basketball? What, what did you like about basketball? I, it, was, it was five guys uh, working together uh, as, a, as a team to be successful. And you know, preparation and practice, although I didn't love practice, but it was part of uh, what made us successful. We had a great coach uh, who was very organized and very disciplined, and I learned a lot from from him and watching him and how he organized practices, and we we practiced with an intent to be uh, excellent, and that enabled us to to win games and and be successful. And what do you bring from that experience to, to your role today at the bank? Be organized, be prepared, um, have a strategy, have a plan, know what you want to accomplish, and, and uh, that's a big part of being successful is just being organized and know what it is you want to accomplish. Hmm. And when did you become aware that actually being organized was a key ingredient to being successful? Probably when I got out of college and, and went to work. I probably would have done better in college if I'd applied those uh, uh, concepts. But when I got out of college and went to work and you know thought back on my years in high school and growing up and playing sports and 
we had a very good uh, basketball program, and a lot of it was to do with we brought a coach in when I was very young, and he built a, a group of people and, and kind of took those guys with him through the years. But his, his practices were very organized, and uh, we ended up being very successful as a team. So. I, I want to ask you about work, but, but in a different uh, capacity. Tell us about your experience when you were 15. What were you doing? I was working construction. And, and how'd that come about? Uh, I needed a job and wanted to make some money, and so uh, somebody told me that the local construction crew was hiring, and I went down and got a job, and uh, the job started at 6 o'clock in the morning, and a lot of kids my age probably weren't willing to to go to work at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I was because I wanted to make some money, and I think they were paying 450 an hour, which was a little more than minimum wage, and so uh, to me that was that was good money as a 15-year-old. and so Did you get I was to keep it? I uh, got to keep it. I think I paid a little bit in taxes, but not much. <laughs> <laughs> Pay more taxes now than I did then. What did that experience teach you? Construction to banking. Uh, hard work, you know, being willing to, to outwork people. So, you know, but banking, you weren't like the other folks there, you said. Uh, I was not like the other folks because most of the people there, it was their permanent job. It was only my summer job. Um, but it, it taught me that, you know, hard work is, is critical because banking is a commodity. And so, you know, the way that we deliver value is by uh, providing better service. Our, our product is the same as every other bank or every other financial institution. It's a commodity. It's the same size, shape, and color as every other organization. So we're successful by delivering, you know, a little higher quality of service, being a little more agile and a little more flexible and responsive. Mm. You had made a comment during the green room that you hated failure more than success. What do you mean by that? I hate to lose. I can't stand to lose. And I love winning and I love being successful. But what drives and motivates me more than anything else is just hating to lose. I'm not a good loser. I'm a, I'm a gracious loser, but I hate losing. What's the significance of losing? I, I, mean, I, I mean, I equate it with failure. What do you equate it with? I equate it with not it being not being the best and and failing and not achieving your goal, not uh, accomplishing your objective, and somebody being better than you. And I want to be the best at everything that I do, whether it's playing basketball or uh, playing my kids in, in tic-tac-toe. I want to win. But, uh, but you also mentioned at the same time the importance of family values and ethics, and so it, it seems to me that you want to win, but not at any cost. Um. Absolutely. I mean, there's some things more important than winning. Absolutely. However, I never let my daughters beat me at tic-tac-toe <laughs> because I felt like if, if I let them win, then they would be th – that's the wrong value to, earn, to learn. So I wanted them to win because they were better, and they beat me at tic-tac-toe now. But that but gratitude and humility that um, is so important to you, tell us about that and how it plays into winning today. Well, I think there's more important things in life than winning. And, and to me, it's, it's faith and family first, and business is uh, way, way down the list as far as that goes. So, you know, my father was a, was a, a very high-integrity, decent, honest individual, and and he taught me that being humble and being hardworking was much more important than, than winning uh, any day of the week. So that's important. Hey, Mark, uh, what's the website address? It's uh, tfb.bank. We've been speaking with Mark Bogan, president at the Fauquier Bank. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this break. Uh, this is Les Smolin with Vistage International, and this is your business spotlight. Joining us today is Robin Shefsky, business development manager at SOAR Community Network. Robin, what's SOAR Community Network? SOAR Community Network is a uh, consortium uh, with uh, two owners and about 30 experts, and we team up with a variety of projects. What do you mean? Um, so we really are... Uh, uh, helping organizations and social enterprises with strategic planning, leadership development, implementing efficient and effective processes, mm -hmm. and supporting their mission through social impact. And what's your role? Uh, I'm business development manager. What does that mean? That means that I actually go out and uh, find the entities and find organizations that uh, need some assistance with solutions or are having uh, concerns within their businesses mm -hmm. that would like to expand and grow and have uh, 
their messaging a little bit clearer. They may not even know that they have issues. Yeah. So what makes you good at what you do? What makes me good at what I do is the fact that uh, for most of my life, I've actually been involved in organizing, uh, connecting with people. I sit on uh, several boards, chambers. Um, How does all that help, help you? Yeah, how that's that, that helps me because I have a lot of connections. Uh, I'm able to connect with a lot of people. People tell me all kinds of wonderful bits of information about themselves and their organizations, which which allows me to better understand um, what their needs are and to help them get resolved. Uh, and who is whether you call them a client or a customer? You tell me. But who is a perfect client or customer for what you do? A perfect client or a customer is uh, somebody who uh, is running an organization that could be a nonprofit, uh, could be a uh, a, a corporation that uh, is growing, um, has been acquired, is about to be acquired. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be um, uh, an organization that uh, is... Uh, um, I think uh, we get the idea. Yeah, there we I go. I think we get the idea. Thanks. What's the website address? Uh, the website address is soarcommunitynetwork.com. Thanks. We've been speaking with Robin Shevsky, Business Development Manager at Soar Community Network. This is Les Smolin, and that's been your Business Spotlight. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver, you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down, therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of it one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and mm-hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus and how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, Mm -hmm. parents, Mm -hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Tom Cohen. We'd like to introduce Chris Taylor, CEO of Govini. Chris, what is Govini? What are you guys doing? Govini is a commercial data company that was founded to advance uh, both America's security and competitiveness. Uh huh. And how large or how small is this company? Uh, 35 uh, employees right now. 35 employees. But you were the CEO of a company that was how many employees? I think you said 16,000 or something? 16,000. So you're 16,000 and now you're 35. Okay. You started another business, got involved with another business. Did you uh, Did you start this firm? I did not. All right. So you were brought in to take it to the next level. Where are you from originally? I was born in Richmond, Virginia, but I was raised in South Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. What happened when you were six? My dad passed away. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Two younger brothers and an older half-sister. Uh-huh. So when Dad passed when you were six with two younger brothers, what happened to the family dynamic? Uh, it brought us closer together uh, out of need and, and love. Well, as the, as the older brother, you probably were the one that helped tie it together or you could have ripped it apart. What, what was your role in tying it all together? I guess I was kind of like my mother's executive officer. I made sure that what she wanted done got done. Well, the uh, being the executive officer for your mom, what's that have to do with your being the CEO of Govini now? Well, I think that the translation is uh, any business, any small startup that is working its way through needs to get things done, and being pivotal in that is uh, is important. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, let's see. Uh, so you also mentioned there was a bit of a, an issue growing up, a young boy without a father. Tell us about that. Sure. I, people uh, around me had their fathers taking them to the father-son picnics, things of that nature. Um, but it w what was really most important, what I learned later in life, is I wasn't raised by my biological father, but I was raised by 50 neighborhood fathers. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Give me an example. Um, people on, in my neighborhood is very close. Uh, so fathers of other families would certainly act as your father if you were doing something well or if you were doing something out of line. Like give me an example of what they would teach you. How to shave for the first time. Huh. Let me ask you a question. So I understand that you were raised with 50 dads. Somebody would teach you how to shave and everything else. How have you become everybody's father? Well, let's see. You were the CEO of a 16,000-person company, weren't you? I was. Did it ever occur to you that you were the master father? I don't think I ever looked at it that way, but it's it's certainly a central figure in helping. Uh-huh. Do you see a similarity there? I do. What is it? Um, that all organizations need a, a a figure of certainly patience, but also a stalwart that's going to be there. Mm -hmm. Just want to make sure I understood, Andrew. Chris, did, uh, did mom ever remarry? She did not. And uh, what, what did that teach you about mom or in general? My mom believed that she was married to one person, whether my dad was alive or not. Um, and it gave me a – it made me revere women more with her persistent patience. What, is, what, what do you mean by that, revere women? Um, my mom raised three young boys by herself in not very good financial circumstances, and she did it with a grace and dignity. You've got to – I got the sense in the green room, you have a real strong sense of loyalty. Tell me how that plays out today. Uh, well, I'm certainly very loyal to my brothers, uh, no matter what. But I, it also develops a, a loyalty across any organization that I've chosen to associate with. Why is that so important, that loyalty? I read people suing other people in business. What are you talking about loyalty? You can't win and win big if your organization is not a loyal organization. Wow. There's no harmony. There's no alignment without a loyalty. Well, I'm not arguing. You built a business of 16,000 people and sold it. Now you're starting another one at 35. You must know what you're talking about. Daniel? Yeah, so you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, having the 50 fathers, but I, I want to kind of get a little bit more into that. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the things that they were teaching you and what you learned from having 50 different perspectives? Sure. So all of these perspectives and weighing them has helped me today. For instance, we do a lot of work in the Pentagon. It's a Fortune One organization with a $750 billion budget. The ability to negotiate and navigate various points of view inside that building, for me, is a direct result of hearing and weighing the various different um, uh, thoughts of, of my 50 fathers mm -hmm. growing up. Alex? <clears throat> Chris, in the green room, you talked about playing a lot of sports. What was your favorite sport? Rugby. And what role did you play? I was a hooker. Man, that's tough being in the pack. What did you learn playing hooker? That every once in a while, you have to spread the paint across a bunch of loyal brothers. And, and how has that translated into how you are as a CEO? Well, I think we shouldn't endeavor to do anything in business or life if we're not going to do it with people that we care about and, with, and who are equally committed to the same uh, vision. That's excellent. Now, you've had a chance to be CEO of a 16,000 organization. What's, what's different and similar about being a CEO of a 35-person company? Uh, day and night, moon and sun are the differences. Uh, certainly playing with your own money in a startup versus using other people's money in a large organization is very, very different. Uh, it's a different stomach ache that you get. Um, but I think the similarities are if you do it right from the beginning, you can grow a culture that outlasts you. And that's how businesses ultimately become great. They outlast whoever the CEO is at the time. John? So tell us about your military service. Uh, I spent 14 years in the Marine Corps as an enlisted infantryman and force recon Marine. And what did you learn in that 14 years? What are the key things you took away from that? I think uh, certainly discipline, but I think above and beyond that, um, 
that a shared shared values and a strong culture gets you through anything. So do you have any kids? I do. I have a 27-year-old daughter named Erin and a 22-month-old daughter named Lucy. So you mentioned strong respect for strong women, shared suffering with brothers, and discipline. What are the key things you're trying to pass along to those uh, two young ladies? Well, I hope that we're, I'm passing along that the world is beautiful and it's a kind place, and sometimes it's not. And that to be able to balance between when to be kind and compassionate and when to be prepared to deal with struggle is every bit as important. How, how, how young were you when you started making money? About 12 years old. Doing what? Oh, man, I delivered papers. I cut grass. I had a grass-cutting business. I had a snow-blowing business. What did you learn from the snow-blowing business that helped you grow a 16,000-person firm? <laughs> that scale matters. It's really hard to drag a snowblower from house to house in winter when you can't drive yet. Mm-hmm. What was your major in the college? I was a theater major when I first went to college. Now, what does a theater major, what's that have to do with building a 16,000-person firm and now a 35-person firm that you hope to grow as well? I think, if anything, it gave me a storytelling, appreciation for storytelling, and, 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 and I practice it. It is, in my view, the most important trait that any CEO can have. Is what? Storytelling. Why? Good story. You're trying to ra- if you're trying to elicit greatness from everybody in your organization, you have to be able to raise them up and point them all in the same direction. When you were a kid, who had the greatest influence on you? My mother. What do you, ta- you had these 50 men. What are you talking about? But my mother was the core, was the center. So How? What do you mean? Um, she just made sure that everything was okay. She, regardless of the challenge of the, heart, uh, of the hardship, she made sure that things were okay. And she did it in a way that didn't freak us out, that didn't do anything but cause us to come closer together. Mom was steady Eddie? Wildly so. What's that have to do with being the CEO? Well, I think, uh, as any other CEO would would know, that sometimes things go well and sometimes things don't. What we do in the sunshine doesn't really matter. What we do when it's raining and storming is the thing that matters the most. Uh-huh. What do you mean by that? Um, everybody's a good CEO when the numbers are good. Not everybody's a great CEO when you're trying when you've suffered something, and the numbers aren't great, and you're trying to bring them back. And what's that have to do with your role in that rugby team? You have to spread that pain across very trusted people in order to get back to right. Tell me what you mean by that. Um, It is a fool's errand to think of the great man theory that one person can run a company better than anyone else. It is a team that that is forged both in, in, we'll call it business battle, and other things um, that actually meets that meets these challenges. What's the website address for Govini? Govini.com. We've been speaking with Chris Taylor, CEO of Govini, here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. This is Les Smolin, and this is uh, your business spotlight. Joining us today is Sylvia Henderson, CEO at Mind Team Solutions. Welcome, Sylvia. What's Mind Team Solutions? Mind Team Solutions is an organizational development company. Uh, we help leaders leverage communication and leadership and relationships to drive success. And what's your role in the company? I am co founder with Josh Silverstone and uh, CEO. And um, what do you like most about the job? I love, sounds hokey a little bit, but I love people. I love drawing things out of people, which is what we do. Hmm. Uh, And I can see things that other people don't see. I don't mean that kind of weird. but Hmm. So when people are talking, I love asking questions and listening. And then I can hear things and see things that they don't see. And that's the foundation of what we do. When did that gift show up for you? Probably in early in childhood. Where did you grow up? Grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, what were you doing 8 to 14 that kind of solidified the idea that you had this ability to kind of to hear things or in between the lines pick things up that others couldn't? Girl Scouts. I attribute mean? everything I do to Girl Scouts, my leadership, and later motorcycling, believe it or not. What do you mean Girl Scouts? And then we'll get to motorcycling. <laughs> so Girl Scouts, I was uh, actually Girl Scouts got me my first job because 
I practice leadership skills. I'm an only child, and the only way to lead and the only way to be with other people and practice that was through another group, and Girl Scouts did it. And, and what's the uh, motorcycle experience that added to that? Well, as a motorcyclist, I, I'm used to being the only one in a room that does something different. Uh, viewers can't see, but as an African-American female, I'm used to that. And motorcycling just added one more uniqueness. I love being unique. And who's the uh, perfect client for you? Perfect Client is a company, or actually the leadership, that really believes their people are their best asset, typically about 100 employees or more. And what's the website address for your company? MindTeamSolutions.com. Thanks. We've been speaking with Sylvia Henderson, CEO at Mind Team Solutions. This is Les Smolen with Vistage International, and that's been your business spotlight. Want help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, Grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business, are truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back, and you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Les Smolin with Vistage International. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Mike Musio, president at FBB Capital Partners. Welcome, Mike. Mike, what's uh, FBB Capital Partners? We're a full-service wealth management firm located in Bethesda, Maryland. And how big or small are you guys? We have $1.2 billion uh, in assets under management, and uh, we have 15 employees. And um, how would you get a job there? I met one of the co-founders of the firm, Susan Fulton, about uh, 17 years ago, and I was working for a, another, uh, another shop, and we were referring business to uh, FBB Capital, and uh, Susan had courted me. I joked that she courted me longer than I dated my wife, so, <laughs> and I ended up there uh, about six years later. What did she see in you that basically said, I would love to have this gentleman working here for us? I think she saw somebody who worked well with clients and uh, had uh, had some confidence in working with people that were much older than me at the time and had money and not afraid to ask questions, but uh, also somebody that uh, complimented some of the analytical team that she had already put together. Hmm. Where are you from? I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. In Columbus, Ohio or, or outside? I, I, uh, I was actually, I went to school in Westerville, but uh, yeah, the zip code was Columbus. Okay, and uh, any brothers or sisters? Two younger brothers. And uh, were they smarter or? Both very much smarter than I, both both valedictorians of their respective classes. Really? Yes. Um, and uh, w what was the thing that you seemed to excel at uh, if it wasn't being the uh, val valedictorian of their schools? Uh, I was probably the, uh, the, the more social of the three, mm -hmm. um, the one who organized uh, games at the park or going fishing with with friends or getting getting a group of guys and girls together to go to the swimming pool whatever that might be sounded like you used the term earlier little rascals yeah what do you mean that's by right. that <coughs> well we were so we each of my brothers uh we were two and a half years kind of in scale apart from each other so we had 
look like little rascals or stand by me, 20 kids on bikes going to the park. Or and your park. role was what? Uh, well, usually I'd start the phone chain in the morning to, uh, to get that group together. Uh, oh, so y- you were the guy who got everything started? Yep. Huh. Right. Okay, what were mom and dad doing? Mom and dad were both uh, civil servants. Uh, dad worked for Adult Parole Authority for the state of Ohio. My mom was a, uh, uh, worked in the accounting department for a local municipality. And um, dad had a, um, a carryout with my uncle for the first 13 years of my life. Mm, Molly, you want to ask some questions around that? Yeah, so as a young adult, what were you exposed to? What kind of activities or work that led you to care about financial services? Yeah, so, I mean, Dad had the carryout um, not only uh, because he enjoyed doing it, because we needed the additional income when Mom was staying home. And um, so I got exposed to, you know, him coming home from one job and turning around two nights a week, going to another, and then on the weekend, uh, spending one day on the weekend. And then I would go with him, with usually with my younger brother, and spend some, some days uh, on this weekend sweeping out the shop and How restocking shelves. I was probably eight, nine when, when we were doing that on a pretty regular basis. I mean, you weren't out playing? Uh, we were out playing quite a bit as well. But we would go typically in the morning from like 9 to 12 on Saturday mornings. Hmm. What else are you thinking, Molly? What did your parents teach you about money? Were there certain things that, that you just witnessed that helped you to process and re- lead you to really choose this path? Yeah, w- w- we didn't have a, a ton of it, so uh, they uh, they were good budgeters. Uh, my brothers and I, I think, from the time we could put food in our mouths, uh, were trying to eat them out of house and home. So um, whenever it was uh, led to something to, uh, whether it was a project in the house, putting on an addition, something like that, they always saved that money up before we did anything. They never borrowed to do that. and so um, You were aware of that at the time? <coughs> No, at the time I was I was not aware for you know of specifically. I mean, when you, my brothers and I joke, we didn't really know have an awareness of that until after the fact, right? Um, but so you and your brothers all worked in the store that with your father. Yeah, we would take turns, and as my younger brothers got older, we would uh, I would always vie for working uh, on the morning that my uncle was working because he would actually give us five bucks and a pack of baseball cards where my dad would give us the pack of baseball cards so did your father know you were playing him uh he was he was uh he, he was pr- privy to what uh, what my angle was for sure and why did you work in the store at that young age it was an opportunity to spend time with dad um and my brothers and meet people i mean it was you know the, it was the neighborhood market right so you'd see the, the same folks that i'd see on the football field or a baseball diamond I'd see the parents and the kids come in and it was a social thing what did you learn from that experience that you bring to your current job I I think you know any opportunity to be involved in the community um, and be out in front of uh, you know whether it's it's coaching kids sports uh, or uh, involved with the church you know that's that's something that's part of uh, part of my DNA what do you mean uh, it was, it's what I was exposed to as a kid, and it's something that I've continued to um, do in, in my life. And I, my w- wife and I, you know, have our kids involved in stuff as well, and we hope that they are good citizens, I guess. Is that important? I think it's very important. What do you mean? Well, if we're, we're not all good citizens, then we're, you know, subpar citizens, and that wouldn't be as fun of a, an active and uh, enjoyable place to live, I don't think. And does that show up at work for you too? Yeah, it does. Um, we try to be good corporate citizens. We um, the the firm uh, independently, and then obviously the partners and the employees privately um, all you know fund and spend time uh, doing things that are important to them, and things that can uh, you know enhance the community. Mm-hmm. For Katie, sure. do you have a follow up there? What was your first job when you started earning money? I, my first job was um, a paper boy. I had a daily paper route when I was in sixth grade, excuse me, a weekly paper route when I was in sixth grade, and then I, I was able to get on the Columbus Dispatch in the seventh grade, and I held that route for three years. And what did you do differently than other kids? Well, I got up at 5.15, <laughs> six mornings a week, or seven, six mornings a week, and five on, on Sunday. Um, but I was, I was, a, I was a young um, paper boy for the for the daily route 
Uh, and I learned quickly on the weekends that when you went from 70 papers during the week to the Sunday papers, that it was good to hire my younger brothers to help me drop the inserts on Sundays. So, so there you are, instigating and organizing all over that's again. That's right, family yeah. affair. Did we miss something about the crew? You had some experience with crew, sport-wise. Yeah, I, I played kind of traditional sports through high school, but I went to a large um, uh, large uh, state university, Ohio University, and I didn't. Uh, I did not have the basketball skills to walk onto the team, so I tried. Um, but I did have. Uh, I had some height, so I joined the rowing team. And um, my junior and senior year, I was um, I was captain and president of the uh, of the rowing program. How'd that shape you? It was a great experience. Um, what do you mean? We were a club team racing against varsity programs, and so we, uh, I, I say that we had, you know, most crew teams were had kind of a 6'3 average height, and we had, you know, the front and the back of the boat were 5'6", and then we towered in the middle at 6'8", and so to make sure that everybody's rowing along together, you had to kind of, you know, adjust everybody's, uh, everybody's swing pattern a little bit, everybody's stroke, and it was just a fantastic experience. Andrea? How'd you pick crew? Uh, it kind of picked me. I, uh, I was working out uh, in the gym one day, and uh, they, were, they were recruiting people. And um, I think they were looking for guys that were 6'4", and uh, so it, it chose me. Uh, and those guys are still some of my best friends. Um, I was in many of their weddings. They, many of them were in mine. I married my coxswain. Uh, my wife was my coxswain my junior and senior year, which was kind of taboo at the time but um it's so, uh, so it's you mentioned in the green room that you were sort of a not a natural leader but but a reluctant one did that start showing it grew or was there a time earlier it, than that it did it did um the the people who actually founded the club were a couple years older and um we all knew that they were going to be graduating and um you know they asked me to step into that role as the president of the team which had not only team responsibility for practicing and competing but um budgetary responsibility and fundraising responsibility other than your height though why, why do you think they picked you i think i was somebody that got along with everybody i was never um i've, I've tried to be open uh, minded to, to all ideas um and know that i don't I, i'm far from know everything and um you know we were trying to corral 40 different 40 guys and six swimming coxswains and uh, i think that was uh probably the, the number one reason. And, and do you think those are similar traits that they saw in you to bring you to where you are today? I, I think so. It, it certainly has not hurt me, right, to, to be willing to, um, you know, have and, and foster relationships with, with people of all walks of life and different value systems and everything else. Um, that's definitely uh, probably been a pretty significant key to any success I've been fortunate to have. How do you use that at work now? Well, it's we're you know I, the, the the boat swings best with uh, you know we've I've learned to make the boat swing with uh, with people with of all different uh, kind of backgrounds and different strengths and and weaknesses and so trying to build that team and complement those different uh, characteristics is pro is I would say my most important uh, job function today. That's great, Mike. Hey, Mike, what's the uh, website address for FBB Capital Partners? It's fbbcapitalpartners.com. We've been speaking with Mike Musio, president at FBB Capital Partners. Um, Katie, uh, can you run through the guests that we had today? We had Matt, Matt Petroselli, CEO of Valley National Financial Advisors, Mark Bogan, president of the Falkier Bank, Chris Taylor, CEO of Giovini, and Mike Musio, president of FBB Capital Partners. And I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Katie Brewer of the Brewer Group, Andrea Dykes, Howard Insurance, and Molly Ponpadit, SOAR Community Network, for helping, de for helping develop our storyline, hopefully delivering to our listening audience an entertaining and educational show. And I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.